All right, we are starting a brand new series tonight on the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to start out with something here. And I want you to describe this. Something else. It could be. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna say sounds like wood, feels like wood because I'm picking it up. It appears to be old. Uh, I have seen things that are made. I actually saw a some a log that somebody made that was totally out of ceramics in an art museum that was totally convincing. It was a piece of wood. I mean down to every little fold in the bark and every little tiny thing. So it's possible, I suppose. But we're using our senses. You actually did use, because when I picked it up and set it down, you probably heard maybe more familiar noises of, eh, it sounds like wood. If it sounded like glass when I set it down, you might have said, maybe that's not wood. But you heard a little bit, a tap on it. It sounds like wood. Um, from all you know, it's made of wood. It was a cubit high. Okay. And it's a step stool. You observed it and you told me all about it. What you didn't tell me is, hey, that was Aunt Matilda's step stool. And she used to get jars of pickles off of her high shelf in the basement. You don't know that about it, right? Because you've never experienced this step stool. You didn't say, this is the most uncomfortable step stool ever. I'd never stand on that. It does seem to be a little strange uh, angles that it's at. Maybe it's sort of a chair, too. You can sit here and lean there. I don't think it's really a step stool anymore. If you step on it, it'll go flat. Yeah. No. It won't. It doesn't seem very stable. It's not a step stool for a guy like me. <laughs> Maybe it's a step stool for a lot smaller people. Maybe Aunt Matilda was a small person. I don't know. All right? So the idea. What's that? That's right, you small person need a step stool. I probably gotta reach the pickles. Alright, the idea is when we look at something, we make observations about it. And we use our senses to pick it out, and we describe it totally by the physical characteristics. Right? Wood, it's this size. It appears to have this function. You told me it's arched because there's some arched pieces to it. It's got connector pieces. You described it 
by its physical appearance. And that's the interesting thing about most of our life, is that we are in this physical world. You know it, you feel it, you touch it, you wake up in the morning, you smell bacon cooking, maybe, um, on a good morning, right? And you taste the bacon in your mouth. And it's fantastic. And then you take a big bite of those scrambled eggs, and they taste great for some of us. And then you bite down into them, expecting that perfect melted cheese on top of those eggs, and you bite into a shell. Ah, right? It's like, ah, that's disappointing. But we use our senses. We see, we taste, we touch, we feel things, we smell things, okay? It's how we identify things. Now, there is a piece of us that is not identified necessarily by those things. Could be affected by those things. Well, let me, let me re-say that. It could affect those things, your taste and touch and smell and hearing and things, but it might not be affected by those things. All right? So here's the place where we take and we describe that chair. Next, I want you to describe to me, without using the word dog, what is a dog? It is a mammal that is, that was trained by, that was domesticated by humans. It is covered with fur and it is a carnivore, which means it has pointed teeth and it has paws or paths Okay. Very good. Now describe to me a human. It is. <laughs> Some guy, right? <laughs> no human in particular, just any human. Two-legged mammal. A two-legged mammal, okay. the only difference? Is there hair <laughs> from the dog and the human? Um, we know it's a mammal. Walks on two legs. Okay, so that's a little different than the dog. So is that it? It has uh, hands with individual fingers on them, which are able to articulate. Yeah. Okay, and it has opposable thumbs, which a dog does not have, okay? Anything else that makes a human and a dog different? It has a... it doesn't have a snout. The only thing that really protrudes from its face is just its nose. Just its nose. Okay. Alright, so there are all kinds of physical differences between a human and a dog. Now, is there anything else that's different that's not a physical difference? Humans are more intelligent. Okay, alright. They are thinkers. And do dogs think? A little bit, okay. I feel like it's more instinct. Okay, all right. So we they they definitely have brains and they have brain functions, okay. And there's a lot of instinct with them. Can they communicate with their owners? Yeah. Yep. Uh, language, they can. They can communicate. All right, they, 
And can they learn new things beyond their instinct? Sure, sure. They learn to sit with a whistle or they can learn to do amazing things. Some dogs learn to climb ladders and do all kinds of crazy things at the circus, okay? They can do amazing things, but there is one big fundamental difference between a human and a dog or a human and any other animal. And the difference is there is an internal part of a human makeup that is not in a dog. An internal part that does not use your senses necessarily. It could, but not necessarily. Alright? So, your internal part is something called your spirit. Inside of you. Now, it's a little bit different. What is a spirit? Well, we just got introduced to it, so not. Very good. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I will tell you what Webster's Dictionary says a spirit is. How's that? We'll start with that. All right. A spirit is one of several things or a combination of these things. Breath, courage, vigor, soul, and life. Now, the word spirit is used in different ways, okay? But all of these things make up what you might call a spirit. The spirit of a human comes from the nature of God. This is the interesting part. God originally said, let us make man in our own image. That's what he said. We're going to make man in our image. And how is it that man is made in the image of God? Does God have a nose? <laughs> he could. Well, maybe he's got 50 noses. I don't know. Or maybe he's got no noses. Now, I'm not talking about Jesus Christ here on earth, okay, when he came to earth and took the form of a human. But I'm talking about how are we made in God's image. And the interesting thing about it is that we have a spirit unlike the other creation in the world. We have a part of us that is deep within us, that occupies us, but does not change our shape. Okay? This stool occupies space, just like we do. I hit it, whack it, my hand bends a little bit, and the wood even bends a little bit, tiny microcosm of a bit in there, but Basically, we both occupy space, but a spirit doesn't necessarily occupy space. It doesn't need space. How's that? Let me say it better. It doesn't need space. Breath, life, your soul, your courage, your vigor, your vitality doesn't need space. Your physical body needs space to do things that, that bring out your vitality and bring out your life and bring out your breath and your soul, okay? But your body doesn't really need, your body needs the space. Your, soul, your spirit does not. So that's the interesting thing. It's not bound by space and time like we are in this world. It can, it can do different things than that. And if my body walks out and gets crushed by a truck tonight, my spirit does not get crushed by a truck. Alright? Now at the time of death, when we die, 
There's a separation of spirit and body. There's a whole other part to that story later on. But there's a separation at the time that we die and our spirit separates from our body, the dead shell of what we were. And when we go and look, have you ever seen a body, a dead body? If you've ever seen a dead body, you can't, you can go talk to it, but the person's not left there. It's just a shell. All right, that body is separated from the spirit. So this is the interesting part of it. Now that's how we're made in God's image. We are going to go back to look at God and see what this mysterious, unusual part of us, the part we're made after God, one of the, the ways that we reflect God is by having this spirit. So let's learn about God himself. All right, and that's why we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. All right, the Holy Spirit, in in a very interesting way, has woven throughout all of the Bible, and we will begin to see him. So, where do we start looking for the Holy Spirit? Now, well, how about we go to the very first page, and we'll turn to the very first verse. How's that? Start in the Book of Genesis. Now, I'm going to tell you it was the very first verse, but the trick was it's really the second verse. Okay, but, but we're going to read the first and the second verse of the book of Genesis, and we can start with that, and we're going to talk about... Go ahead, please. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. All right? So here is this spirit. Now, if you look at the word um, of spirit, uh, this originally was written in Hebrew, okay? This text was written in Hebrew. And so if you were to look up the, the Hebrew word that's used for the spirit of God right there, you would get a word, and I'm going to say it and probably butcher it, but it is called the Ruach. And do you know what it means? It means wind, tempest, like a heavy blowing breath, even violent breath, which I guess I've never seen violent breath, but could be, or blast of air, like a blast of air. So this spirit, this force, We'll call it a force at the time, okay? We'll call it a force for now. This force, this blast, or even this breath, and, and that, that's an interesting choice, right? I don't think of a wind as breath or a tempest as breath or what's a violent breath, but we, we're going to get to that a little bit. But let's say it's a force. This spirit is a force. Can I see him? Well, I suppose if he wants me to be, he wants me to see him, then yes. And we'll find out there's, it's more complicated than that. But in general, he's not visible to my sight. I don't have to see him. And spirits tend to occupy beings. Okay? And that's different, right? They occupy beings. And so, but, so when we have our spirit, it occupies our body. It occupies our body. Right? Now the Holy Spirit, it's a little different. Let's just say at this time, for the sake of argument, He's a force of God. All right? A force of God. But we've got to look a little more. Because this isn't enough. Here he is. God creates the heavens and the earth. And the earth, was it all formed? It says, nope. Was without form. 
and it was void. That means it's empty. So there was this big chaotic sea or ocean water across the earth. Was it pure water? I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe it was a mix of all kinds of molecules. I don't know. It was chaos. And here's the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Apparently it was important enough for, for it to be written down in the second verse of the Bible. So let's skip through a little bit and see what else we can learn about this spirit, this ruach, all right? This tempest, this wind. Skip along to chapter 6 of Genesis and let's see what else we can learn about the spirit of God. Same word, we're tracing here this very same word, ruach. All right, Genesis chapter 6, verse number 1 through 6. So I'll read the first one and we'll pass it around. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always thrive, strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be up an hundred and twenty years. And there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, and became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Wickedness. Wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Okay, so here is God. He has created this earth. Skip along a little bit. Creates mankind, creates all of creation, everything. Skips. And a few generations down the line, from after Adam and Eve first sinned, Cain and Abel had the first murder, it only takes a very few generations before these superhuman people have turned so far and so quickly away from God. God created them in a brilliant state. Adam and Eve, brilliant. Okay? Their children, brilliant, but still fallen with sin. And so very quickly, very brilliant men do very evil things when they have sin that they're struggling with. All right? And so God does this and says, my spirit will not always strive with mankind. My ruach will not always strive. The force of me in this earth will run out of patience with the sin of man. Eventually. It's going to run out. And how does it run out? Well, the very next section of verses, we find Noah. And what happens to Noah? Builds an ark. Builds an ark. Why? The world is going to be flooded. The world's going to be flooded because man was thinking evil thoughts continually. And so my spirit will not strive with mankind always. So here is his spirit, or what we what we first learned about and said, well, this is his force, the force of God. It will not live patiently with man always. Alright? So this force runs out of patience, which is unusual for a force, right? Gravity is a force. It works every day, forever and ever and ever, as long as it is set in motion to do so. Okay? 
Gravity doesn't run out of patience being gravity. Okay, so maybe there's something more to the spirit than just a force like a wind. Maybe the wind is different. Maybe this invisible spirit of God has more to it than just that. And we begin to learn just a little bit more. So it will not always strive with mankind. Okay, the spirit of God will run out of patience, we'll call it. All right. Maybe that's not the best word, but it gives you the idea. God says there'll be an end. And he brings the end with the flood. Now let's see what else we have. Skip along a little bit in Genesis chapter 41. We're going to turn to the story of Joseph. Now, you don't even realize how much the Spirit of God is, but from the very, very beginning of mankind, the Spirit of God, even before mankind, Genesis chapter 41, verse number 37. We're going to start in the story of Joseph and pick up where Joseph has been taken out of prison, going to the Pharaoh's uh, court, and Pharaoh has a dream for him. There are seven cows and seven years of corn, and they eat one and up another, and, and Joseph gives them the entire application of the dream. We're not really going to focus on the dream. What we're going to focus on is something else. We're looking for the Spirit. So let's see what the Spirit is doing here. First, chapter 41 of Genesis, verse 37, and we're going to read through verse 41. And... I will start there. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh. That is the interpretation of the dream by Joseph. And in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath shown thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according to all my word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. All right, so Pharaoh, who is not necessarily what we call a man of God, but he recognizes something. What does he recognize about Joseph? Set it in, I think, the verse you read first time. Verse 38. And he's not like any other man. Yeah, why? The man in whom the Spirit of God is. So, God's Spirit, we now find the Spirit of God can be in Joseph. Or in people. In people in general, because here's this man, he says there's a man, and God lives in him. Now, we kind of touched on that, but there's something else interesting. Think about this. How does Pharaoh know that? Does Joseph have a flag on his head that says, Spirit of God in me? How does he know? We are so used to watching. We observe that stool right there. And we say, it is wooden. It is a cubit high. It is this big. It is that wide. It can hold this much. It looks tippy. It looks this. It doesn't look like I can stand on it at all. Looks uncomfortable. Maybe it's going to fall. We tell them all about that. How do you think Pharaoh knew that the Spirit of God was in Joseph? This power, this force of God. I'll give you a hint. What? Who else could figure out the dream? If you go back to the story, he asked all the smartest men in his kingdom, come on and tell me what the dream is. How many figured it out? Zero. So Joseph did what no man could do. He had 
wisdom, he had insight, and that's not stuff you can measure, except you know it's there when it is. Wisdom and insight. Clearly, something very unusual was happening inside of Joseph. Joseph didn't just make it up because mankind doesn't know how to interpret dreams, right? But God does. And so we can take from that that sometimes there is evidence of the Spirit within us. It's external because people see it or hear it. When you say something, when you do something, they can watch it. Okay? The evidence of the Spirit is external, and yet they never see the Holy Spirit. It's invisible. But the evidence is clear that it was there, and Pharaoh knew it. All right. So we know that they, he can occupy, the spirit can occupy, and that also you can see it. So let's confirm that a little deeper. As we skip along, let's go to Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. In the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jotner, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. It's a ways back in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse number 26 and 27. Again, we pick up another little bit about what is this Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36. Uh, Lamentations. Lamentations, yes, which is another little tiny one. So, you got it? Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27, and I will read 26. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. All right, so think about gravity. I have this, this bottle. I drop it. Did I throw it to the ground? What made it go to the ground? Gravity. Gravity. It is a, it is a force. force. It can make things, it can act on things, right? Forces act on things and can make things happen. In this verse, these two verses we read, something, the Spirit of God is a force and it can make something happen. What can it make happen? In these two verses we just read, verse 26 and 27, Okay, it changes your heart from stony to soft, okay? So it can change your heart. And what else? In that second verse, in verse 27 we read. And what's it going to do? Keep reading. It cause you to walk in my statues. Oh, so he can cause you or he can make you to obey. Hmm. A force can make you obey. Now, how about the wind? When you walk in the wind and you are headed straight into the wind and it's really strong wind like we had on Sunday, what do you have to do when you're headed straight into the wind? 
Is it harder to walk or easier? Harder to walk, because you're, because the wind, if it's big gusts, it can make you lose your balance. It could even knock you over. All right, if it was big enough wind, it could pick you up and carry you off. How about when you turn your back to the wind and you want to walk? What does it do? Pushes you forward, okay? Is it not the same force? What has changed? The way you're walking. The way you're walking. Hey, look at that. The way you're walking has changed. And so to the Holy Spirit. You can say, I will not do what God wants me to do. Or you can say, God, help me do what I want to do. Help me do what you want me to do. Do you see the difference? The force is there all the time. The God, the Spirit of God, as He goes in your heart, either says, You're going to fight me, or I'm going to help you get along way faster. You decide. Go ahead, walk in the wind. You can do it all day long. You walk in the wind your whole life. But when you turn around, you'll realize you're getting further. And guess what? The wind's blowing in the direction God wants you to go. Okay? Just like a Viking ship throwing a sail up. Hey, this helps a lot when it's blowing in the direction I'd like to go. All right? You use the force of the spirit to change who you are. Or you can fight the force of the spirit and say, I'm going this way. Eventually you get tired. Eventually you get pushed down. You might get knocked over several times and you get angry. I can't believe I fell down. Maybe if you keep falling down and getting knocked over and feeling like you're fighting your whole life for anything, maybe you should think about Maybe I'm not headed the way that God wants me to go. Because when you make the turn, the walking gets easier. It's not that you don't have to walk. You still have to walk. But it assists you every step. Okay? This is the Spirit of God. And you begin to see how He works. You can fight Him. Or... He can assist you. You decide. All right? That's how the Spirit of God works. All right. Now, let's skip along and see John chapter 14. We're going to make you work hard in your Bibles tonight. Figure out where you're going. Lots of turning. But it's good for you because we're seeing the effects of the Holy Spirit. We're trying to weave together... Let's say this, before we get too deeply into the effects of the Holy Spirit, we're trying to weave together who this Holy Spirit really is, what a spirit is, because it's something we don't necessarily touch and see and feel like we do that stool, okay? John, chapter number 20, I'm sorry, chapter number 14, verse number 16 and 17. the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. So here's another thing. There are some people who can recognize the Spirit of God. And what does he do? Well, he dwells in you. We found, okay, Joseph, he seemed to be in Joseph. Pharaoh said, hey, the Spirit of God is in that guy right there. Jesus himself says, Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, can dwell in you. What does dwell mean? What's a dwelling?
He can live in you. All right. So we find out he occupies not only just randomly, but he can live in us. Not just Joseph, some guy long back, long time ago. He can live in us. And more than that, when he lives in us, some people recognize him and some people don't. Who can't see him? Read those verses again. Who can't see him? Verses 16 and 17, chapter 14 of John. Who can't see God, the Spirit? Okay, so if you don't take him in, now that's kind of a different way. You got to think about that. Let's think of a guest. What do you do to receive a good guest into your house? Feed him. Put your coat up there, take your shoes off, get comfortable, have fun with them, conversations with them, play games with them, play the music, I don't know, dance for them, I don't know, entertain them, right? You do good things for them, you receive them into your house and you say, I want you here. I want you here. Those people who don't want God can't see God can't see the Spirit. They can't even recognize Him. So He's somehow totally invisible to those people who won't have Him. Let's even say, don't want Him. If you don't want Him, you can't see him. So I guess we learned a little about Pharaoh and Joseph. He recognized him in Joseph. Maybe he was willing. Maybe he wanted God. Maybe he was ready to receive God. And so he said, look at that guy. He's got the spirit of God in him. All right? And when you begin to see that, there is an un, um, it's, it's amazing, unexplainable, almost, connection. When you begin to see the Spirit of God in people manifest and you say, there's something very different about that person. I can't even explain it. Yes, they're nice, but I've met other nice people. Uh, yes, they're very, uh, they accomplish a lot. But I've met other people that have accomplished a lot. There's something else different. And when there's something else unexplainable, but they know it's there, they hear or see something, and it's not like you have a big blinking sign that says, hey, I got the Holy Spirit in me. You look like any other person in the world. So there's something else recognizable by other creatures that are created in God's image, saying, I recognize that. That comes from somewhere way deep down. But it's those who will, those who will receive him as a guest, okay? So, the Holy Spirit can live in you, and he is also one other thing, He two other things, he is called a comforter. Someone who gives comfort. Okay? We will talk more about that in time to come. And he is also called the spirit of truth. So he brings truth. What does truth mean? Well, truth is above and beyond even all circumstance. Truth sometimes can be more than you can see physically from your vantage point. Joseph, when he interpreted Pharaoh's dream, didn't know what Pharaoh's dream was about. 
he didn't have an amazing view to look into the future. He was not someone who got incantations or spells up and said, ooh, let's do this and let's see the future. He didn't have a crystal ball. But God, the Spirit of God, showed him truth about it, revealed it to him. I'll say even spoke it to him so that he could understand it. Maybe it was audible, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Maybe it was right while he gave that interpretation to Pharaoh. Maybe God, like that wind, pushed him and compelled him and assisted him when he opened his mouth and said, Pharaoh, your dream is, the interpretation of your dream is, and out came the words, and he's like, I don't even know that. And that is the way the Holy Spirit works. When you can trust him and receive him, he can bring you to places of truth that you have never understood. Truth about yourself, truth about others, truth about the world, truth about eternity, truth about history, truth about the future, all sorts of truth. When things are very mucky and muddy and hard to figure out, God has a very clear picture, and that's the only place to get a clear picture. Is right from the Spirit of God. That is how we are to walk. That is how we are to learn. All right? So, interesting parts as we continue to learn about who is this God. Now, as we skip along, let's go a little bit more to John chapter 4. We'll go back just a few pages. John chapter 4, because Jesus has more to say about this. Now, remember, Jesus is a part of the Trinity. Um, John chapter 4, verse number 23. So he's got insight into who God is because he is God. All right? Now, he has taken on a human form and he is living and walking among men at this moment in time, but he knows and understands who God is. So this is what he says. Chapter 4, verse number 23 and 24. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit, okay, in that force, and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is the spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. All right. Very interchangeably in there. He uses the word Father. He uses the word Spirit. And he himself is speaking. Because there is a connection within God. A unity within God. That regardless of the person in God, and I'll call it the word person, whether it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is unity in how they act, move, and think. All right? They are always walking in lockstep together. They are never in disagreement. They are one being. This is confusing to every human out there. And if you are thinking that, join the club. But if there is an infinite being out there called God, then don't you think that infinite being may be a little bit more difficult to understand than just what we can think of within our dimensions and times and frames and human minds? He's an infinite being. He can infinitely create. He can infinitely think of things. He can infinitely be what he wants. And so don't think that God's not complicated. And yet God has told us, well, I am the Father. And within our human relationships, we have father-son relationships. Okay, we have children, and we begin to understand. And then he talks about the Spirit, and he says, well, here's this piece of you that's just like me. You're made in my image. This piece of you that is really 
difficult for you to touch. But it is the most important part of you. So how do you begin to touch that in a more regular way? Begin to worship me, he says, in spirit and in truth. So there is a way and a part of our being that can speak to God, that can connect with God in in no other way, not like our physical pieces of our body, but it can connect with God because it's made in his image. And he says, if you want to worship God, you worship in spirit and in truth. Listening for what he has to say, thinking about what he's saying, and connecting with him in a way that is spiritual. Okay? Not physical. Now, how do we do that? Wow, that got all of a sudden very complex. And how can we accomplish that? Well, we're going to talk about that in weeks to come because there are physical pieces of our life that can connect to that Holy Spirit. We can become that being that is totally meshed together. And God, but God has to do one thing first. And this is the one really important thing. In Job, and we're not going to go there for for sake of time, but in Job chapter 33, verse number 4, he says, the Spirit of God, the Almighty, gives me life. Gives me life. So we find out that God, and it says particularly, breathed His breath into me. God breathed His breath into me. In the book of Job, it's actually his friend Elihu uh, who says it. And he says, God breathed into me. He created me and he gave me life by breathing his spirit into me. Hmm. Now when we went back and we talked about that word, what was it? Huyak, ruyak, okay? The word spirit. One of those things was breath, wasn't it? Wind, force, tempest, breath. Violent breath even. And here is the spirit of God. And we see him and Job says, or Elihu, his friend says, I was breathed life into and that's what created me. Now if you were to go back to the, in Genesis chapter 2, again, not going there for time, but Genesis chapter 2, we find out that God forms Adam out of the dust of the earth, and then what's he do? <sighs> Breathes life into his nostrils. That's how Adam becomes a living being. Because there's something deeper inside of a human that makes them alive. Yes, they have a physical breath that draws in oxygen and blows out oxygen, but there is something deeper that is a spirit of a person that makes them living. Like we said, you see a dead body. Yes, they stopped physically breathing. And people say, well, their heart stopped beating and that's the last of them. And yes, they drew their last breath. But at that moment, that shell stayed there and their spirit said, I'm done at this point with that body. And God separated the spirit from the body. All right? Like he put into the body when that baby was first created in the womb of its mother. That spirit, he says, I breathed life into that spirit. All right? So the breath of God does that. And then we find a really, really interesting time. After Jesus... Again, book of John, chapter 20, verse 19 through 22. We see as Jesus, after he's risen again, he has all his disciples in this room and he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, is it his physical breath? I don't know. He's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. Was it symbolic? of what's happening, what's going to happen, maybe. Either way, we understand that the breath of God brings life. 
And it's not a physical, he doesn't need to breathe. God doesn't need to breathe, he doesn't need oxygen. He lives everywhere and anywhere. He's infinite being. He doesn't need oxygen. He doesn't have lungs necessarily to keep him alive. But he is doing something. He is passing the Holy Spirit on. And he says that comforter will come to you. All right? The day of Pentecost, which we will no doubt touch on in this thing. He, has, he is a life-giving force. And if you were to turn to Corinthians, he, Paul talks about God being a quickening spirit. He brings life to things. He is about to create life. And so, when we said the very first verse that we came to, verse number two in the Bible... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form and void, and the Spirit of God was on the face of the waters. What was he doing there? He just hanging out? Got no other place to be? Why is the force of God, the life-giving force, on the face of that chaos of waters? What is he about to do? The very next verse, he starts bringing life. So that's what the Spirit of God is. He is life-giving. His very nature, by his breath, by the force of him, by who he is, he brings life. He brings life to a person that will receive him. He brings new life. He awakens the dead spirit that died from sin. In our nature, our spirit is dead within us. Doesn't recognize God. Doesn't see him. Has no wisdom, no insight, nothing until we say we're ready to receive. If we're ready to receive, then he says, I'll give him to you. And when he gives him to you, all of a sudden you have new truth. You have new life. It's open, it's awake inside of you. Your spirit begins to see things because it was dead and it's a, he's a life-giving spirit and he says, I'm going to bring you back alive because you're willing to receive me. If you're willing to receive me, in comes life in you. You become open, you become alive and you begin to see things about yourself. Usually that's the very first thing is God convicts us of our own sin and who we are. And then after he convicts us of our own sin and we, we work to try to change, we begin to see this is a hard struggle. Then we realize, and sometimes it takes a long time, that we really need the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God, we can fight him, walk against the wind. <clears throat> or we could turn and walk with the wind. Right? As he begins to work in our life. He can change our stony heart. He can do a lot of things for us. But it is his goal to bring life to us. He's a life-giving spirit. So he's much more than a force. Much more than a wind or gravity. There's much more going on behind. There is great power. It's hard to fight against him. You can't win when you fight against him. But he's not going to force himself on you either. Because he won't go where he's not willing to be received. In fact, he won't even be seen by those people who, can't, who won't receive him. He's invisible to those people. Don't worry, I'm not going to bother you. You don't want me, I won't even bother you. But if you will, if you will receive him, if you will speak, if as he speaks to you inside of you, you say, I will. That's all, that's it. He'll say, okay, I'll come in. I will indwell you. I will change you. I will live in you. I will make something new of you. I will bring you life where you had death. I'll bring you direction and truth. And I will bring you a new engaged soul. And I will bring and make you alive where you were dead. All right? In a place that you never even knew existed. Inside of you. In your spirit. He brings you alive, all right? So that is what the most exciting piece of what the Spirit does is we begin to see he's much more than a force. He's more than that. And he is a personality. And we're going to begin to see the work of the Holy Spirit, this 
this aspect, and that's not even a good word, but God, as he works in our hearts, as he works and begins, how does he do it, and what's his goal? Well, we're going to talk about some of those things and the depth that comes from a life living of walking with your back to the wind. All right? Learning from God, doing new things. All right? He's so much, and we're going to learn more next time. Thank you very much.